you would, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 26. It's on page 459 if you're using the Red Pew Bibles in front of you. So we continue our series through Book 1 of the Psalter. And uh, again, the, the theme of these psalms is so often conflict. And we see that again in our psalm this evening. Uh, and, and I'd ask you to stand with me uh, as we approach the reading tonight. And we pray for us. So, oh Lord, would you help us as we give attention to your word this evening? Would you speak to us by it? Would you hold it up like a mirror for us? Lord, would you help us to see our sin and come running to you for grace? Thank you for Christ, for his life, his death, his resurrection. Our lives are in him. We pray that uh, we would see him more clearly this evening. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's Word. Of David, vindicate me, O Lord, for I've walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands are evil devices, and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will last forever. You may be seated. If you were in a prayer meeting, and your request was, I want everybody to know that I'm right. People might have questions for you. They might be concerned that that's a little prideful. And if you're being petty, if your motives are selfish, uh, if they're for your glory and not for God's, then yes, it is probably prideful. But if you are in the right, and if the matter is your integrity, and you're being publicly slandered by wicked people, then asking for vindication, asking to be proved right is appropriate. And that's what David is doing in our psalm this evening. David is asking for God to vindicate him. The word means to prove someone innocent. David is asking God, show them that I'm right. So there are wicked men who are slandering David. In fact, we find out in the middle of the psalm that want to destroy him. They are people likely within Israel who claim to love the Lord but devour his people. But David knows that he's innocent of the things that he's being accused of. And so he holds fast to the Lord. Now maybe you're thinking about this and how, okay, how would this be relevant to my life? You think maybe if it's relevant, if it's directly relevant to my life, those situations would be pretty rare. It would apply, obviously, if you were wrongly accused of something in your work, some kind of unethical practice. 
or maybe if a malicious person was trying to harm your reputation, then of course this would be a psalm that you would quickly want to pray. But in some ways, all of us as Christians are waiting for vindication, aren't we? In what way is a Christian slandered? Are all of us as Christians questioned? There are so many who say that there is no God, that Christ was only a man, that the Holy Spirit, if He exists, is nothing more than a feeling, uh, that no one hears us when we pray, that Jesus isn't coming back, and that we should all eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we'll die. Those are the kinds of things that Christians hear all the time. These are the slanders that we are faced with, but we know the truth, don't we? And we are not wavering. The Father sent the Son, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die, and He did not stay in the grave. He rose again on the third day, and then the Father and the Son sent the Spirit to change our lives. The, the prayer at the end of the Bible, come quickly, Lord Jesus, is a prayer for every Christian to be vindicated. It's a, it's a struggle to be slandered as being a fool for trusting Christ. But it is well worth the stand. It is well worth holding fast to the Lord. David, who was facing something of an extreme version of this situation, shows us how to endure in this psalm, when we are slandered, when we are questioned for our faith. How did David respond in this psalm? Well, three main ways that I want us to see this evening. First, he prayed. He called out to the Lord, we see in verses 1 through 3. Secondly, he separated himself from the ungodly. And then third, he went to church. He attended corporate worship with the saints and praise the Lord publicly. We see in verses 6 through 12. Well, let's look back at this passage together, starting with the first verse of David, Vindicate me, O Lord. So just to zero in on this word a little bit longer, once again, men are telling lies about David. They could have accused David of plenty of sins that he would have been guilty of. They could have accused David of polygamy, later of adultery, of conspiracy to murder, um, many of those of which he repented of. They would have been right if they had accused him of those things at the particular time. But of these charges, David is innocent. Now, these charges might be that in the time where David was anointed king, but he was not yet publicly crowned king, when Saul was the king, there, there might have been those who were uh, who, who were spreading rumors that David was seeking to overthrow Saul from his throne. Throughout 1 Samuel, the prophets that God used to write the book, Samuel and Nathan and Gad, they're repeatedly showing us that David was honorable in all of his dealings with Saul. David could have just become king real fast by stabbing Saul. And his friends wanted him to do that. He had two major opportunities. Saul came into a cave where David and his men were hiding to relieve himself. There was another point where David snuck up on Saul, who was asleep, surrounded by his army, who was kept asleep at the time. In both of those situations, David could have ended Saul, but he would not harm God's anointed. It's almost, that's David's repetition uh, throughout, first Saul, for, throughout first Samuel. 
Now, Saul didn't have any problem trying to harm uh, God's anointed. He tried to kill David throughout the book. But David would not return uh, the threat of violence with violence. David was essentially saying, King Saul is God's to deal with. I'll endure until God ends him. But that doesn't mean that enduring Saul and all, all the pain and difficulty that went along with it wasn't really difficult for David. So what does David do? He cries out to the Lord. He asks the Lord for help. In so many places, he asks the Lord to sustain him, to help him. Here, he's asking specifically for him to be vindicated. The King James Version translated verse 1, Judge me, O Lord. And there's something to that. David is asking God to declare him innocent, and in so doing, he's confessing that God is the one who judges him. He's saying, Lord, see me. See me straight through and see if there is any wicked way in me. I think this is important for us to think about for a few moments because we live in a world that is obsessed with justice. The worldly person wants justice as long as he gets to be the judge, as long as you use his standard of righteousness, whatever that may be. But at the same time, every non-believer wants to avoid God's judgment. They want to avoid thinking about uh, the judgment of God coming on the final day, and they'll distract themselves with entertainment and other things. They'll go as far as ridiculing Christians uh, who speak about the law of the Lord because they don't want to be reminded that there is a day of judgment coming. Well, David is different. David doesn't push off God's judgment. He invites God to judge him, to see him. And far from promoting his own brand of justice or avoiding judgment altogether, David is asking God, who sees all, to see him. Now David is confident that God will vindicate him in this particular instance, this thing that he's being slandered about. But that's only because he knows the word of God. When David is humbly walking with the Lord, and he isn't always, but when he's humbly walking with the Lord, he knows that the Word of God will always do him good because he's a believer. When David opens himself to God's judgment, if David hears that he is sinning, it is so that he can repent. It is so that he can cast off what is wicked so that he can return to the Lord and find grace and help in time of need. It is so that he can turn from sin and walk in integrity. Dave, what, what is David talking about here in this very first verse? He's talking about a clean conscience. Doesn't the whole world want to know, how can I get one of those? Adam covers himself up with fig leaves. Uh, King Saul confesses his sin, but never really repents. Jonah runs away, but David is going straight to God. And this is the call for all of us. Go straight to the Lord. No covering language. No hiding. No running. Uh, pray with David's prayer later in the Psalter. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. 
Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David is asking the Lord to see him, to judge him. Now, how can he do this with confidence? Well, we find out in the next few verses. Look uh, again at verse one with me. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. David's claiming here to walk in integrity and to trust the Lord without wavering. It's a strong statement, but here David's not claiming to walk perfectly. He's not saying that he is perfect and that he never has small faith. In fact, in Psalm 10, he asks why the Lord is so far away. Psalm 13, he asks how long the Lord will forget him. David's not saying he's never had hard days. It's not that David doesn't struggle, but he is maintaining his integrity. He has not, in, if, if this is the case uh, that, that they're slandering him about, he has not gone in to harm Saul, God's anointed. He didn't do it. He's no usurper. Uh, he, he did not waver from his commitment to the Lord. He's committed to worshiping the Lord and not idols. He's not distracted by these other things of the world. But ultimately, how does David really walk in his integrity? Because he's not, how can he say that he does this? Because he's not a perfect man we know. Well, in verse 3, the second part there, very important phrase, I walk in your faithfulness. David can be faithful because God is faithful to him. God saved David by his grace. And God is continuing to sustain David by his power. When David does well, David gives all the credit to God because that is who deserves all the credit. It is the Lord who is maintaining David's integrity. It is the Lord who is causing him to walk in paths of righteousness. And David can praise the Lord for the wonderful works in his own life. And he can think of specific ones. Uh, he can thank the Lord for saving him from the bear and the lion while he was out guarding sheep. He can thank him for slaying Goliath. He can thank him for giving him victory in many battles before Saul started trying to kill him. And then when Saul started trying to kill him, he thanked the Lord for preserving him through that. As Saul would throw spears at him and then send men to his house at night to kill him. David has so many things to thank the Lord for. But ultimately, the greatest thing for him to praise the Lord is the good news that God saved him by grace and will sustain him for life. It's what Paul said in Philippians 1.6, the good work that he began in us, the Lord will carry to completion. Brothers and sisters, how about you? Do you know the faithfulness of God to you? Do you praise Him for His saving and His sustaining grace? Not only that He has brought you to Himself, but that He has kept you with Him, that He keeps you on the path. David walks in his integrity. And a very important part of this is that he does not keep company with the wicked. 
And he talks about this next in verses 4 through 5. Here, see a separation that David makes. He says in verse 4, I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. It's very strong language, isn't it? Uh, Children, maybe you heard me read hate, and you thought, I'm not supposed to say that. But the reason you're not supposed to say it is because it's reserved for wicked things. You're not supposed to talk about movies or places to eat that you hate because the word is reserved for wickedness. God hates sin. And we are supposed to as well. David, especially here, he hates the wicked. And even more, he hates the assembly of the wicked. What you see in the rest of this psalm is a tale of two assemblies. The assembly of the wicked in these two verses, and then again in verses 9 and 10. And then the assembly of the righteous, the gathering of the saints in verses 6 through 12. What David is talking about is an extreme distancing. He's leaving the company of the wicked to be in the company of the righteous. David wants no part in unrighteousness. With the wicked, he does not sit twice in those two verses, and then he does not consort with them. That is, he doesn't partner with them. He doesn't share with them. Now here you might be thinking, but aren't we supposed to love our enemies? Wasn't Jesus a friend of sinners? Aren't Christians supposed to be in the world? Well, the answer is yes to all of those things. And there's something we must add to those thoughts. We are supposed to love our enemies. But that doesn't mean that we align with our enemies. Jesus was a friend of sinners in such a way without ever approving of their sin or minimizing their sin or celebrating their sin. When someone becomes a Christian, it often means a breaking off of relationships that has to happen in order for them to walk in integrity. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. When, when we hear about Jesus being a friend of sinners, that is not a call for us to casually hang out with the ungodly. If, if you are comfortable spending time with those who do not love the Lord, Uh, If you are fine with uh, jokes about the Lord, uh, terrible, wicked speech, uh, wicked action going on all around you, and you find yourself comfortable with such a thing, brother or sister, it might be that your conscience is being hardened and not softened as it should be. We are called to love non-believers, but we are called to love them in a particular way, in praying for them. And that doesn't mean praying in a dismissive way, but with a true heart, with love to see them, a longing to see them converted. We pray for them. We call them to light out of darkness. That often means uh, having difficult conversations or saying hard words, uh, calling sin what it is, um, but holding forth the glory of Christ. So we pray for them. We call them from light. Or we call them to light from darkness. We also model holiness before them. This is how we love our enemies. So a question for us as we read this passage is, can we evangelize 
without compromise? Or are we able to watch out when our view of outreach actually turns into people-pleasing? We are to be careful in our dealings with others that we do not begin to soften the gospel. Again, it's, it's important, and we want to pray and seek to be able to give hard truths a soft landing to people with whom we're speaking. But we never want to soften the gospel, because that is to compromise it. Now, we remember here that Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, that, that he's not saying that you need to get away from all immoral people because if you did that, you would have to leave the world. He's not talking about only working around Christians or only living around Christians. The question is, can you live and work among non-believers and walk in integrity? Seek to shine the light of the gospel among them. David has entirely rejected this consorting with, this partnering with the wicked, uh, even though they're, uh, they're all around him in a sense. Those are not his people. That's not the assembly that he's trying to get into. That's not the table at which he wants to sit. They may be powerful people. They may be rich people. But David's table, David's assembly, David's people are the people of the Lord. And we see this in verses 6 through 12 with this picture of the sanctuary, the, the place where God's people are gathered for corporate worship in the Old Testament uh, at, at the time that David is writing this uh, around the tabernacle. Uh, we see in verses 6 and 7, I wash my hands in innocence, he says, and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds, O Lord, I love your habitation. I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. David loves public worship. In verse, in verse 6 here, uh, the, this reference that David makes to washing his hands in innocence, uh, the priests would wash. Uh, in, in the courtyard of the tabernacle, there was the tabernacle tent itself, and then outside was a large basin for washing then there was the, also the altar on which the priests would make the sacrifices. David's, uh, it's as if he's looking at that basin. And even though he's not a priest who would go and do this uh, ceremonial washing, he's using it as a metaphor uh, to say that his hands are clean, uh, that his heart, that his soul is clean before the Lord, that David can approach the Lord. Uh, and he is clean in this particular matter. In verses 6 and 7, we see that David says he goes around the altar of the Lord proclaiming thanksgiving aloud. He's proclaiming God's wonderful deeds. Now, as David is talking about being in the courtyard of the tabernacle uh, where sacrifices are being performed, going around the altar because he cannot touch it, but you, you may think about uh, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. and uh, Maybe you think about the book of Leviticus, the precise way in which worshipers were to bring sacrifices. And you might mistake that these rituals were performed with this kind of cold obedience, that everybody around there was frowning because of the seriousness, the somberness of all of it. But look what David says. There is proclamation of thanksgiving 
while sacrifices are being offered, while the people of God are gathered together for worship. Maybe these proclamations of thanksgiving are even being offered in the form of song. While he moves through the courtyard, outside of the tent of the tabernacle, people of God are proclaiming his wonderful works. They are singing his praises. And they are singing of all his wonderful deeds. These are thoughtful, ordered words. And and so should our words be, brothers and sisters, when we come together uh, in worship. Uh, Pay careful attention, I I hope you already do, to the prayers that we say and to the songs that we sing. There's a lot of fun, certainly, in the modern contemporary Christian music that's out there, but uh, oftentimes the words are not substantial and enduring as the songs that uh, we seek to sing here. Uh, If the songs are not substantial enough, then they really cannot nourish our souls. David here is recounting thoughtfully, carefully, the wonderful deeds of the Lord. And it causes him to sing. It causes the people of God to rejoice in thanksgiving together. David loves corporate worship. Notice verse 8 especially. What is it that David loves most of all about worship? It's not just the ritual. It's not just the feelings that worship stirs. It's not just the people he gets to be around, although he longs to be with the saints. It's not just nostalgia or the kinds of feelings that he gets thinking about certain seasons. The thing that David loves most about worship is the presence of the Lord. The thing that David loves about worship is that God is there. And so, brothers and sisters, do you love public worship? Do you long for it like King David did? Do you long to hear the proclamation of God's wonderful deeds in the reading and in the preaching of the Word? Do you long to sing the songs? And do you really try to sing the songs and to pay attention to the words as you sing them? Do we pray earnestly? Do we have our ears and our eyes and our hearts open? Do we pray and ask the Lord to give us a hunger for what can really satisfy us? Well, David, before going on, returns to a brief comment about wicked men, kind of like a refrain in this, in verses 9 and 10. He says, Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. The the wicked are described more here. They're bloodthirsty, whether they've killed yet or not, or, or, or they're just willing to. They're also taking bribes. Calvin takes this to mean that these are wealthy, influential men who are able to cause David real trouble. But the end of the wicked, you see here, is that they will be swept away. They will be swept away. Now, why is David thinking about this in particular? Well, he is approaching the presence of the Lord in worship. He's considering considering how holy God is. And how unholy the wicked are. How one day they will face judgment. And if they have not repented, then they will be swept away. But surely at the same time as David is approaching a holy God, he's thinking about his own unholiness. And he's thinking about the fact that he too deserves to be swept away. 
even if in this instant he's confident of his integrity on a particular subject, he knows that he is ungodly in other areas of his life. What is David's hope? What is any of our hope? To not be swept away by the Lord. Well, we see it in verses 11 and 12. As for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. In contrast to the wicked, David is resolved to continue in his integrity even if men with bribes are coming at him uh, with a good deal. David is going to stay focused on the Lord, but what is the basis for David's walk? It is God's grace. It is God's redemption. David's integrity is not what saved him. Otherwise, he wouldn't need redemption. Otherwise, he wouldn't pray in verse 11, redeem me, God. If David's integrity was enough, if he could do it all by himself, he would not need God's grace. He would not need to cry out, God, be gracious to me. And he's not saying here, I'm doing a pretty good job. I just need your grace to get me over the finish line. I just need a little bit of it. No, David needs God's grace to pick him up and make him stand at all, much less continue to walk in his integrity. David stands desperately in need of God's grace. And so David can say in verse 11 that his foot stands on level ground. In the uncertainty in the world, uh, with all these wicked evildoers clamoring around him, David has a solid rock on which he stands. And so what's he going to do? He will bless the Lord in the great assembly. He will continue to worship the Lord. He has worshipped Him. He will worship Him again. David's life, in many ways, revolves around praising the Lord. David's life kind of revolves around going to church, being with the saints in corporate worship. He loves it. His life revolves around it. Does yours? We can look forward to the day when we will be gathered to the great assembly to worship the Lord, the church triumphant, the saints in heaven, where we are forever removed from the presence of evil, not just the wicked around us, but even the sin within us that clings so closely. And we will rejoice in the solid ground, the new heavens and the new earth, which will never be shaken or swept from underneath us. Let me conclude with this. David calls out to the Lord for vindication amid slander. Well, David has a greater slandered son who is coming. The Lord Jesus Christ was mocked, rejected, tortured, and yet he maintained his integrity. And we don't have to give any caveat or any explanation for that at all. He had perfect integrity. The Lord Jesus never sinned. He was victorious against all temptation. And the Lord Jesus was slandered uh, and, and mocked all the way to his death. And then, after his death, after his burial, the Lord Jesus was vindicated when he rose from the grave and showed everyone who the king is. 
and what His power really is. We trust in the Lord who was slandered and told us to expect the same. Brothers and sisters, do not fear and do not be discouraged. Do not despair when the world slanders you, makes fun of you, calls you all kinds of names for believing in the Lord because something strange is not happening to you. The Lord Jesus told you this would happen. Trust Christ. Go to Him and ask Him to search your heart and see if there be anything of which you need to repent. We need God to judge us. We need God to search our hearts. Uh, It sounds intimidating, and it is. If you ask someone to judge you, they're going to find things wrong with you. A physician, a dentist, a dermatologist are all doctors judging your body, and that's not fun. But if they do, if you go to them and, and they're good at what they do, then they can really help you. They might even save your life. Well, the great physician can do better than saving your life. He can save your soul. And he is the one in whom David entrusts himself. And he is the one we are to trust ourselves to. We will meet the judge one day. And we will need a good lawyer, an advocate. Christ is our advocate when we meet the judge. He, the Lord Jesus, is the vindicated one. And He will vindicate His children on the last day. In fact, if you are in Christ, He already has. It is written in stone. He has vindicated you and He will on the last day. Brothers and sisters, let us go to Him in prayer now. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You are our reigning King. And we pray that You would help us Uh, to know You, to love You, to trust You uh, as the One who redeems us and who has poured out grace on us. Lord, help us as we continue to worship You this evening. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.